He's moved to the dark side of the chart now. You don't mean... I'm afraid so. Elmer, you're the new Timmy. Neat! Can my boy have a hat too? Hey, Kenny! That's awesome, Kenny! The no gosh darn it, those, my name's not Kenny! <laughs> Kenny's dead. Okay, not Kenny. But I'm not gonna wear this coat anymore either. I should be able to be you guys' friends without wearing Kenny's old coat. How's it going, though? Been a week? Same here. Been a week, <laughs> yeah. Uh, my job's been a little wonky lately, and uh, then, uh, what was it, Sunday or Monday, my mother-in-law had a heart attack. Ooh, and, I'm sorry. Yeah, she's all right now. She she had stents put in everything. She's all right. My wife's been dealing. She has some chronic health problems, so she's been home from work all week. And then last night our washer flooded, and water came down through the ceiling and into our dining room slash kitchen area. And so now we have to have our ceiling fixed. So. <laughs> Yikes! The, the joys of home ownership. Yeah, it's been a lot in one week. So. Just excited to be doing something fun. And I'm off for the next 11 days, finally. So I, my vacation started. This is my last day of work for 11 days. So. Oh, that's good. I'm, I'm Mine, trying to turn uh, it around. Mine starts next Saturday. Nice. So I'm excited. Yep. Good deal. I'm, uh, yeah, we're going to Aruba for my mom's 60th. So. Oh, wow. Nice. Yes, it'll be nice to get away for a bit because work is driving me nuts, man. Yeah, I've seen your posts like, I got to find something else to do. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Like, I don't know. I mean, everywhere seems to be hiring, but everywhere also seems to be like not a place you necessarily want to work. Like, um, exactly. I search for like my qualifications and I'm like, this doesn't even sound better than where I am now. Like I did like a middle management type job in some uh -huh. boring company. Like, come on. Right. Like, um, Oh, I was like, I was showing my wife this thing the other night. Cause we always talk about, we both work for the postal service and starting wages for the postal service are not like super high. They're only like, uh, 17, 18 bucks now or something like that for, for starting. And I saw an article last night that Bank of America is raised its minimum wage for across the company to $21 an hour. I'm like, just no one's, we, we have, we're so shorthanded and no one is going to want to come do our job for the money we're offering when they can go get a easier job. I don't know if it's necessarily easier or not just to, it's not being out in the weather on your feet all day, I guess, which necessarily, right. you know, and they're not going to come do hard, you know, this hard work when they could go get a bank job for 21 bucks an hour or more. Yeah. <sighs> but I have been looking forward to this all day. Well, nice. since I finished the show, because I'm so excited to talk about the show. Yeah. Well, when, uh, of course, um, Justin went away, he's in Connecticut working on a Christmas movie. Um, and um, he hadn't finished it when we let when uh, when he left, so we didn't get to. I had, I my wife and I we burned right through it, and he hadn't quite finished it yet, so we didn't get a chance to talk about it. And I'm like, I gotta talk to somebody about this, and then you were like raving all about it and everything, and I was like, Oh, Anthony will talk to me about Midnight oh. Mass. <laughs> oh yeah, I I'll follow Mike Flanagan to the ends of the earth. Yeah, he's only done um, so far. 
like I wasn't a super fan of Doctor Sleep, but I, I don't necessarily think that's Mike Flanagan's fault. Like I didn't really love, even though I love Stephen King, I didn't really <laughs> love Doctor Sleep the book. So I like had a feeling, even though I knew it was going to be a different, uh, a little bit different from the book. I think somewhere between the book and the movie, there's something I would really enjoy. But, right. Um, like I well, think the movie. The movie was weird because they had to make it an adaptation of the book, but also a sequel to The Shining, which was nothing like the book. <laughs> but I think some of the stuff they adapted for that worked a lot. But like, I think the whole thing between um, uh, the dad and Ian McGregor, the dad, um, I know his name. Oh, he was E.T. and Elliot, and he's in all of Mike Flanagan's other stuff, including Midnight... Henry Thomas! Henry Thomas. <laughs> Between Henry Thomas and Ewan McGregor. I mean, because in the book, at the end, Jack saves his son. You know, the ghost of Jack saves his son, essentially redeeming the Jack character. And they don't even interact. Like, you know, right. uh, he turns around and Jack is kind of waving at him from, like, the side of the cliff or whatever. And I never found the character of Jack all that redeemable. Like, I know Stephen King kind of did, but I was like, uh, like, he was, and I get it. It was the idea of Stephen King working through alcoholism and everything. But as far as we all know, Stephen King didn't, like, straight out break one of his kid's arms because he was mad, you know, like Jack Torrance did. And Jack Torrance, even before he flipped out, like just reached out and broke his son's, you know, broke Danny Torrance's arm. So Right. right. And let's hope that never comes out about Stephen King. Because... Yeah, I don't think it will. I think, I think he, I think he once put that in there just as a thing. Like one of my biggest fears about drinking was that it would turn me into a monster, you know, cause right. that whole thing. And yeah. But yeah, oh, the other flan like I, uh, the wife and I, we just watched, uh, we had never seen, and we went through both of them in pretty quick succession, both uh, Haunting of Hill House and Haunting of Bly Manor. So, you didn't like them? Uh, we had never seen them before. We only just start. Uh, okay. I liked, I think I liked Hill House better than Bly Manor. Yeah, it, it was definitely better than Bly Manor. Yeah, but Bly Manor was still pretty good. I just... I don't think it was quite as good as the other two or as the other one or as right. midnight mass. I think midnight mass is, as we'll, we'll keep talking about, I think that's probably the best thing Flanagan's done. I like Hill house a little better, I think. Ah, okay. Okay. Oh, let me introduce the show real quick. We've been talking here for a little bit and <laughs> I'm recording all this and it'll probably all stay in just because oh, awesome. I don't like, just cause I don't like editing, but um, oh, I hear you, man. Uh, this is two broke geeks and I'm Matt. And that other voice you hear is my pal, Anthony from tis the podcast. Thanks for having me back. This is yeah, my second episode after the Santa Claus commentary. Yeah, and uh, I know on the last episode, Justin and I talked about uh, he was going away and there wasn't going to be an episode for a while. But as I also left in, probably mostly, I might cut out a thing or two, but I, I, I had a week and I just wanted to talk to a friend. And so I, I brought in, uh, I just wanted to talk to somebody about something fun and... That's what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, I, you know what? I, 
as a married person with no children, no house, hardly any responsibilities, but my day job, I'm always around to talk when people want me and I love doing it. So yeah, you are a busy dude. You're, I saw the schedule that you posted a picture of your podcast schedule that you keep on the side of your computer. And I'm like, Oh my God, Anthony is so busy all the time. Yeah. And I have to do it that way because it always went in my phone and I would always double book because I never checked my phone. So I was like, old-fashioned pen and paper <laughs> i understand that i um i forget anything i don't write to and like i recently start i've always done pen and paper but i recently started using google docs to take notes and i'm slowly adjusting to that like i do look at my google docs pretty frequently now but i only just barely <laughs> like I, it, it was a habit i'm only just getting into <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we use that for our show, Tis a Podcast. That's how we keep track of our list and our internal schedule. Mm-hmm. But anything that comes across as like, you know, um, you know, somebody wants us as a guest somewhere else, I'm like, uh, I got to write this down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hit it to my computer so I can see, so I can remember. Yeah. Anywho. Um, J- just one second, man. Sorry. Yeah, no problem. Well, while Anthony's doing that, just I'll keep talking. That way I don't have to edit because, like I said to Anthony a moment ago, I don't really like editing. Um, mostly what he and I are going to talk about tonight is uh, Mike Flanagan's Midnight Mass, which uh, just came out on Netflix. It's going to be pretty spoiler heavy. Um, and uh, but, but, but before I do that, I want to <laughs> ask you something else because <laughs> you um, – <laughs> you made a post the other day that really caught my attention. Uh, <laughs> you've got to tell me about Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so so right, am I allowed to go into, like, any spoilers here? <laughs> go into any spoiler you want, especially since I think the major spoiler of the film is is pretty much out there. Like, neither Justin and I have seen the film, and we've already discussed the spoiler between each other, and he'll discuss it when he's back on the show. But your post, your rant about this film, just, just oh, man, I was just like, this is fantastic. <laughs> Uh, it was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. That is not even a joke. And I will give any comic book movie grace just for being a comic book movie. Mm-hmm. But this was insulting. This was like the bad comic book action movies of the 90s. Like we're talking ah, like yeah. Wild Wild West, uh, Batman and Robin type bad. One? Worse. Yeah, which... That seems impossible to me. That's what me and my friend Greg thought. We went in, we were like, with lowest of expectations, we were like, at the very least, like, this can't be any worse than the first one. And it it blew, like, the first one blew it out of the water. It was insane. It was... I I don't know what they were going for. It was insulting. And by the time it ended, Hmm. and we saw that post credit scene where he somehow transports to the Marvel Cinematic Universe mm-hmm. with Tom Holland on TV. Yeah. First of all, you know I'm not as big a Marvel fan as a DC fan. Sure. So yeah. I'm a little bit critical of the corporate uh, cookie-cutter nature of those films. Mm-hmm. But, man, I would have preferred Disney lost the rights to Spider-Man forever than sell their soul to extend this Spider-Man deal and bring Venom into the universe, which is, I assume, why they did it. But, wow. God, like, it was yeah. so campy. 
Woody Harrelson, it's got to be the worst thing he's ever done. He had I, to have lost a bet or something. I, I've heard um, – I was listening to another podcast I like with guys I like, but who um, didn't particularly enjoy the first one, but uh, as opposed to you, found Let There Be Carnage to be better. They didn't love it. They didn't say it was like great or anything, but they said it was better. And they said the almost exact same thing about Woody Harrelson. They're like, what on earth? Like, he's a good actor. What is he doing in this movie? <laughs> it's funny because I see a lot of people saying that. And I was shocked that, like, um, that's better than the first. And I was like, I don't see it at all. But everyone, I mean, it has a better Rotten Tomato score, better audience uh-huh. score. I just don't see it. Like... I'll I'll die on that hill. It was it was worse. <laughs> I I still was like I don't think I'm gonna go see this movie, and I still don't think I'm gonna go see this movie. And maybe when it hits streaming, I'll. I like the the idea that maybe I could just turn it off versus having to go sit in the theater. Right. Well, I have one friend who saw it who said she had the complete opposite reaction to me, but she said it's. She viewed it like the Fast and the Furious. You just go in, turn off your brain, and it's fun. Like, if you think of it as just like a popcorn movie. I don't mind the idea. Like, I like some stupid movies. I've seen plenty of bad, good movies. I think I've said it before on this show. uh, The line between good, bad, and bad, bad is not only very thin, it's very subjective. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Like... (laughs) If something's really bad, people can tend to agree that it's very bad. If something's very good, people can majority tend to agree it's very good. But when you get into that middle ground where it's like, it's bad, but I like it, like that is just a whole different territory. That's how I feel about Batman and Robin nowadays. Because I'm like, I just go in and I think to myself, this is like an Adam West adaptation and like I can enjoy it that way i see that i still have a hard time with that one i haven't seen it in a really long time but i reached that point with um batman forever where i'm like i i know i I loved it when i was a kid but the older i've gotten i've been like oh this is bad (laughs) but i still kind of like it like there's enough good in there that i can watch it uh, not every year, but every couple years, I can watch Batman and uh, Batman Forever and be all right, and still be like, all right, I get some enjoyment out of this, even though it's dumb as shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I fully agree. Yeah, I, I loved that one as a child. Mm-hmm. I actually loved Batman and Robin as a child. It was, I mean, but Batman and Robin is definitely a movie made for kids. Oh, absolutely. You know. But I mean, even when I see it now, the Christmas geek in me, like, can't help but smiling when Mr. Freeze has his minions singing the Snow Miser song. <laughs> his big fuzzy slippers and his robe. Yep. <laughs> I do like that a lot. All right. Let's talk a little bit about Midnight Mass, since that's mostly what we're here to discuss uh, miniseries on Netflix, uh, we already talked about, directed by Mike Flanagan, stars a lot of, I like that a lot of directors now, and maybe it's always been this way, but I, maybe I'm just noticing it more and more that lots of directors are like, I have my people and they come with me. Like, yep. um, 
Christopher Nolan has those people, and obviously Tim Burton. Tim Burton has those people. Mike Flanagan has those people. Spielberg, sort of. He's worked with Tom Hanks a lot, but Spielberg does go through people, you know. But there is this thing now. Like uh, I'm looking at this cast. He brings in uh, Kate Siegel, but Kate Siegel's his wife. She's in everything he does. She is gorgeous. Yeah, and she's also really good at every part I've seen her in thus far. I haven't seen everything she's done. Um, Are you a Hush fan? Uh, you know what? I haven't finished Hush. I only recently discovered that that was one of the, the back ones. And I started it at one point. But it's one of those movies I started and then something happened and I had to get up. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I plan on getting back to it. Um, and she's also anybody that is interested. There is a podcast called the King cast free plug for the King cast. It's a Stephen King podcast. And she is a recurring guest on that podcast. And she's great to listen to. Um, like she also did a whole thing where uh, she talked about, she got uh, on that podcast. She did this whole interesting piece where, Uh, She talked about how she got sober during the making of Midnight Mass. She realized uh, that she had a drinking problem and uh, worked through that. And that was a whole interesting story. So anybody that is interested in more about Kate Siegel and her views on art and specifically Stephen King art can check out the King cast. She's been on that quite a bit. That's interesting. I am writing that down right now Mm because I want to hear that. It was two or three episodes back from their most recent one. Their most recent one is actually Jamie Lee Curtis talking about Stand By Me. Oh, wow. Okay, that's yeah. awesome. Which is pretty interesting, too. Although, they they say they have these topics, um, kind of like we're doing now, though, where they, they never stick to them, and it kind of – they have a lot of fun guests that from, obviously, the filmmaking and television world – they kind of drift off into their views, their other views about art in general and stuff like that. So I always find that pretty fascinating. And she's really are you, even, are you even a real podcast if you don't drift off into a million different directions while recording? <laughs> I don't think so, unless you are. Um, I also listen to a lot of uh, educational podcasts and stuff like right. that. And those tend to stay on pretty much on topic, which. Yes. Yeah. But other uh, let's see. He also brought in. Uh, let's see. This also stars Zach Guilford as Riley Flynn. Uh, I didn't recognize Zach Guilford from anything, but as far as Flanagan regulars, we see Annabeth Gish, uh, who was in Haunting of Hill House and Haunting of Bly Manor. And most famously to me, she's from The X-Files. Yep. Um, also Henry Thomas, as we discussed. Who I didn't recognize at all at first. I thought his makeup job was really good. No, yeah. the between the wig and the mustache, it took me a minute to realize that was Henry Thomas. Yeah. And also, uh, let's see. Who else is? Uh, of course, uh, Robert Longstreet, Carla Gugino. Uh, and oh, what is the name of – where's the guy that – What's the name of the actor who played the father? I'm trying to... Oh, uh, Samantha... <laughs> Samantha Sloyan as uh, Bev Keen, who... We're going to talk about her. She was... Oh, yeah. We have to talk about her. Umbridge-level infuriating from Harry Potter. <laughs> I described her to a friend as... Uh, 
you've seen the mist or read the mist. Oh, she's that character one hundred percent. Yeah, she's Mrs. Yep. Carmody two point oh. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, let's see. Uh, who else we got in here? Uh, Raul Coley as Sheriff Omar Hassan. He plays a pretty big part. And uh, Hamish Linklater. Oh, that this is the guy. Father Hamish Linklater as Father Paul Hill. And this guy, <laughs> I told my wife, the guy that plays the priest, the, the main guy, I know a guy who could be his older brother. He's like dead you know you, you see sometimes online the things with like strangers that look alike this mm -hmm. dude de I, all i could do every time i looked at him was like i know that oh no wait i don't know that guy i just know a guy that looks just like him. <laughs> super weird this guy i know from um the new adventures of old christine because i'm a big julie mm -hmm. louis dreyfus fan that was one but of man movies. talk talk about like completely different character like mm -hmm. I had no idea he had such range or could be so charming. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, we might as well dive into it. Basically the, the overall plot is there's this little fishing Island, very small population and their priest who is very old and infirm leaves the Island ostensibly to go on some kind of like quest to the Holy land and they get a new priest who's this young guy, but then all these weird quote unquote miracles start to happen on the island and shit gets really crazy from there. <laughs> and, uh, so are we allowed to jump into spoilers for this right away? Yeah, we can talk about whatever you want. Well, I'm not going to go through it beat by beat. It is what an eight part series. It take too long or six. Parts. So, yeah. Eight parts <clears throat> take too long to go through it beat by beat. <laughs> does, um, did you read any of the interviews Mike Flanagan has done after this is aired about mm -hmm. his ideas or everything? No. So I, so he grew up Catholic and altar boy mm -hmm. and uh, I grew up Catholic as well, but he said the earliest seeds for this idea took place when he was an altar boy. And he asked his parents one day, if we are eating the body and blood of Christ, which is what mm -hmm. Catholics truly believe the cracker and the wine are, mm -hmm how does that make us any different from vampires? And his mother like flipped out on him and told him, don't question things like that. Uh -huh. But he said, that's where the idea started. And I read that. I was thinking to myself, holy crap, I never in all my years, and I have a pretty active imagination, mm -hmm. even correlated the two. So I have to give him credit for that. I was like, wow, I can't believe that hasn't really been done before. Uh, actually, neither have I. And um, the whole show is a, uh, not even a thinly it's it, it's a not even veiled critique of um weaponizing religion and uh mentally unstable people taking over religion for their own motives and using it uh against people which um I don't know where Flanagan falls these days. You said he grew up Catholic. I don't know where he falls on the belief spectrum now. He said he said it's a he quoted it as like complicated. He's very he said he would consider himself agnostic, but he said like he's open to the idea. You know, okay. there may be something there. Yeah, because just as, as we go forward, and this is one of the reasons I really want to talk about this show with you specifically. Like uh, I grew up 
United Methodist and I was a believer for a, a very long time and I no longer am. And a lot of the things showcased in this show uh, are a lot of the reasons that I, uh, it, and this is hard to say because I know personally you, many, many of my friends believe in God. It's not the belief in God that bothers me so much as, as a lot of the things as showcased in this show that are done because in his name. Religion, yeah, because religion in his name and whatnot, yep. which is is like my main problem with a lot of this stuff. And so a lot of this show, I was sitting here thinking, oh, oh, like, yeah, yeah. OK, I, I, I like where what this is trying to say. I wonder what everybody like that is into this stuff thinks about like this stuff as well because oh i fully agreed i like i fully agree with you because i mean you you said yeah i I do believe in god i'd consider myself more uh you know i have faith more than subscribe to any religion Mm -hmm. even though i grew up catholic because Mm -hmm. i don't subscribe to like a lot of the things like the church quote unquote says you have Mm -hmm. to do to get in god's good graces i'm like no that makes no sense to me so i loved the scene where um the sheriff calls out Bev in the school about mm-hmm. when she's trying to push the Bible in public schools. Oh, that scene. Oh, and he goes, and he goes off and I'm going to make a mean way. He's like, if, it, no. if we were in the opposite right now, if I was trying to push the Quran mm-hmm. on this Island, you would lead an angry mob with torches to come after me. Yeah. And you know, you and I and the Jewish people all worship the same God. We just have a differentiate. We just mm-hmm. disagree on where the book ends. And I loved it. Cause mm-hmm. I was like, that's so true. But yeah. especially Christianity, nothing against my fellow Christians out there. Like they seem to think they're the end all be all. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I do some basic research into your religion because it is not that different from the ones you're criticizing. No, no, it's not. It's, it's interesting. Um, mostly what I found and I'll, I'll, since we're skipping around, I'll talk about what I, there's Riley, who is a recovering alcoholic. He comes back to the island and he meets up with his, his childhood sweetheart, Aaron, who is pregnant. And then because they are drinking this vampire blood, her baby essentially reabsorbs into her like she essentially unfertilizes she is pregnant from a man she has left and because this this vampire blood like restores your body to its perfect self and because an embryo is essentially a parasite for a little while on the the overall body the the vampire blood dissolves her her baby and she loses it and nobody at that point understands why she has mysteriously stopped being pregnant. Um, right. And they have this whole conversation where she says to him, you know, what do you think happens when we die? And he talks about, you know, essentially nothingness and whatnot. And she has this whole dialogue about, and this is Kate Siegel's character has this whole thing about like, well, essentially I just hope when we die, we're happy. I hope my baby is happy and not alone and is with everybody I've ever loved in my life. Who's passed on before me. It's this whole really powerful, beautiful thing. And then at the end, after everything she's gone through, she comes around to this even 
better, even more amazing monologue as she's dying about what I think happens when we die is like, oh my god, I'm star stuff. The universe, which is a Carl Sagan phrase, and I love Carl Sagan, we're all made of star stuff. We're like, the universe exploded billions of years ago and all these particles flew out and like, yeah, I'm dying, but I'm going to break down and I'm going to decay and all my atoms are going to go back out and I'm going to go back out into the stars and be part of the Earth. And I'm sitting there just in my seat as this character is dying and everybody else is coming to terms with the fact that they're going to die because they've all been trapped out to burn in the sun. Right. I'm floored beyond belief. It is a beautiful monologue. And as... Again, as somebody who grew up Christian, believing mm-hmm. God, I I don't understand. I personally don't understand my fellow Christians who don't think that in itself is a miracle. That you are the universe exploded. Yeah. We we <laughs> formed life out of the star stuff, and when we die, we're going to go back into that. That's beautiful. I loved that monologue. I <clears throat> hope she gets nominated for an Emmy based yeah. on that monologue alone. <laughs> It wasn't just her. So many people, like I mentioned, Riley had his whole, and it was a little bit more nihilistic, his idea of death, but it was still really solid and, and interesting and thought provoking. But then also the priest, boy, does he get a whole lot of interesting stuff to do. So that's, I'm glad you brought the priest because when I was watching this, I was like, oh, it seemed, it's it's so cliche. The priest is the mm-hmm. bad guy, you know? Mm-hmm. Everything does that now. Like, the priest is, like, manipulating mm-hmm. his parishioners, taking yep. advantage of them. So I love that Mike mm-hmm. Flanagan gives him this whole redemptive arc at mm-hmm. the end. I mm-hmm. loved his conversation with Bev yep. outside that church where he's like, this is wrong. It was never about one man. It was never about me. Mm-hmm. And she says, you're my final test. I have to, you Uh, are the devil. Like, I loved that scene. And I never found him, what you were saying about making it so he's not the bad guy. I never felt him as a bad guy anyway. He, uh, just as much as everyone else on the island, he was the first victim of his own his own belief like he he was was lost out in the desert as an old sick man happened to fall into a cave out of the 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 storm which in and of itself to him being such a deep believer in the holy land itself oh Mm -hmm. it's a miracle god saved me but then this vampire creature with big wings to a sick dying man who just was lost in a sandstorm this isn't this is absolutely an angel to this person like even i in that situation not having the 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 same beliefs as him i don't know like if i woke up the next morning completely fine knowing like that i thought i was on death's door with this creature in a cave in a sandstorm (laughs) my my first thought would be to look for a logical explanation but lacking one I don't know what I would do, honestly, in this. Right. I don't know what I would think. So he, going back to that island, absolutely believes this is God's angel. And he has been, I mean, that makes a hundred percent sense. Oh, absolutely. And Mike Flanagan talked about this uh, vampire angel creature a lot in the interviews afterward. Mm -hmm. He said, if you read the Bible, angels are not 
creatures you want to run into. They're they are the terrifying. ones. He said they're the ones God sends to do his. They're his soldiers. If you want to like wipe out a town, kill mm-hmm. a baby, whatever, he sends the angels. Ah. So they would, in his mind, look mm-hmm. like this monstrous creature you wouldn't want to run into, well, and that we- he's. Even if you read some of the biblical descriptions of angels, like one of them is just like wheel inside of a wheel covered in eyes on fire. Yeah. Like that's a terrifying image. Biblical yeah, angels absolutely. are really scary looking monsters. Yeah. So I I loved this design. I thought it was a perfect design uh, for like a, a vampire who's more creature than human, mm-hmm. but who a priest and these devout people would buy as an angel. I thought mm-hmm. it was, a, they settled on the perfect design and he was sufficiently creepy when he walked in, um, mm-hmm. in the priest garb in like that final episode, second mm-hmm. last episode, that was terrifying to me. I was like, Oh man, like yeah. I wouldn't want to. Yeah. <laughs> also the episode when, when Riley turns it, it gets turned because he's, he's gone and he's seen the priest killing this, this poor, Collie, the the character I felt the worst for in the whole thing because he's this poor drunk who shot mm-hmm. and paralyzed this girl and has always felt bad about it, but has instead of using that guilt as a reason to overcome his alcoholism, spends years leaning further into his alcoholism to bury the guilt of the fact that he accidentally shot this girl until she regains her her limb you know her ability to walk through the priest in vampire blood and comes to him and like brings his guilt crashing down on his head and this poor dude after years of suffering is just starting to feel better about his life and he gets murdered yeah (laughs) i i loved that character Mm -hmm. i felt so bad for him i loved um i don't know the name of the actress but she played the paralyzed girl who regains her let me look i can find it she was really good yeah she she was incredible her name was anara simone and the character's name i think was lisa lisa liza yeah lisa l-e-e-z-a and that's one of my favorite scenes in the whole show as well. When father Riley goes to give her communion at the chair mm-hmm. and he's like, Nope, stand up. And she won't. And he's like, no, stand and up. Everybody turns on it. They're like, rightfully he's so. Like, they're like, what are you doing? You what is monster? wrong with you? Like, what yeah. is wrong with you telling this paralyzed girl to stand up? Yeah. And, and he keeps she- backing up and going up the altar stairs. And then she finally stands up and gets that communion. I thought, that was such a powerful scene. I was like, mm-hmm. there is so much great acting in this show, in this show. Great nice. acting, great storytelling. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely a slow burn of a show, but that makes mm-hmm. a payoff in the end all the better, in my opinion. It does. Because uh, I knew it was a horror show, but through the first two or three episodes, I'm thinking to myself, where is this going? Like, I, right. I like it, but what's the what's the hook where's the and then once it really gets rolling and you realize that um uh uh bev keen has likely poison not likely she's the she has poisoned collie's dog and um she discovers what is going on with the priest we discover what's going on with the priest that he's a vampire and she discovers him literally with a dead 
body and blood all over his home and goes, mm -hmm. all right, we're going to clean this up. Like, even in that moment, she doesn't know what he is. She doesn't know. She knows that he has healed a paralyzed girl and therefore he must be awesome. And, oh, so what that I just discovered him with a dead body? It's okay. Exactly. And this is why I've been telling people who like Mike Flanagan's other stuff, like it is not a horror show in the same sense as a haunting series no. at all. No, no. Um, it's a horror show in this cult, like it examines a cult of personality that evolves around one individual, whether mm -hmm. it's religion, a politician, which we won't go there. <laughs> but we are experiencing this in real time in this country. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes this show so terrifying mm -hmm. that there are people like the character Bev Keen who will explain away anything to fit her beliefs, to justify her own personal beliefs and her own means to an end. Mm -hmm. And you said it earlier, she reminded me so much of that character from The Mist. Mm -hmm. um, she Mrs. infuriated Carmody. Mrs. Carmody. She infuriates it in me as much as uh, Professor Umbridge in Harry Potter. This actress, Samantha Sloyan, was like unbelievable. And one of, one of the first scenes, I think it's like in the second episode, um, when she, when the sheriff confronts her in the mm -hmm. supply closet about poisoning the dog, mm -hmm. the way she turns that around on him, like, well, everybody has access to this closet, sheriff. Look at you. You were able to just, just walk in. You could have grabbed the poison mm -hmm. yourself. I know you're not, that's what you're implying, right? Like yeah. Yeah, anybody could walk in. You're not implying that I did it because that would not be right. Mm -hmm. Like I was like, holy crap, the manipulative nature of this woman. Like uh -huh. I, She's such a, and that shows what a great actress she is because like, you're not supposed to like her, but I loved to hate her. And she's the only one in the end who doesn't realize and cannot accept what's going. She is the, the, uh, she's the, the, I'm trying to, she's the zealot. She's the absolute zealot. I was trying to come up with like a real world. She's the, She's essentially the person storming the Capitol, not to get too into real world, unable to accept reality to the mm -hmm. point where, where everyone else at the end is like, you know what? This is okay. We fucked up. We killed people. We're going to burn. She's on the beach screaming, trying to dig a hole in the sand, literally to stick her head in like an ostrich. Right, and I, burn, you know, <laughs> and I loved that. I loved that she is the only character in this who gets no sort of redemption mm -hmm. because that fit. Just like I loved that Riley's parents. Um, you know, I I they go first back of all, to I, that bridge, right, where they had like their date or whatever, or was that Lisa's parents? I thought that was. Um, I thought that wasn't that. Didn't it wasn't it Father Paul and Annie who went to the bridge oh, yes. with their daughter? Yep, that's yes. <laughs> Um, no, yeah, I was saying no, that, that, was, that was the other thing. That's right, because we find out that Annabeth Gish's character is the priest's secret daughter. Yes. Um, which, by the way, the character of Annie, which was his lover. Mm -hmm. No, not Annie. Annie was Riley's mother. Uh, what was the name of that woman? Uh, oh, uh, Mildred. Mildred. The mm -hmm. character of Mildred, like, 
her makeup job is the worst in the show. Like that's what I said to my wife. Yeah. She she came on the screen. I'm like, that is not an old woman. That is a young woman in terrible old lady makeup. Yeah. And like the rest of the, they pulled off the rest. Like they pulled off, um, you know, the kid from E.T., Henry, uh, Thomas. Yeah. Henry Thomas, they pulled off all of them. But she, when she came on screen, I was like, this is like a community theater, high school theater level bad. In, in all, yeah. And in, in, I, I kind of forgave it eventually because when she first came on, she wasn't on the screen as that age very long before she started to age in reverse Right. And the makeup started to drop away. But yeah, when she was like first walked, when she had her dementia and like walked into the office, I was like, oh, that's terrible. Yeah. Um, no, but I, I was I was saying about uh, Riley's parents, Annie and Ed, I liked when they turned into vampires, they didn't lose their humanity. Like when they mm. found each other again, they were like, this is my blood. I'm hungry, but I did not attack anyone else and i thought Mm -hmm. that was a nice touch i especially like that his mother did not stay in the church and drink the poison because the whole time she's pretty devout and i'm Mm -hmm. like i could see i could have seen it going either way but when she escapes the church with the rest of them i was like yes that's an interesting Mm -hmm. choice that's not the easy choice for this character so i'm glad they went that way especially when you realize uh i think it was when because we haven't talked too much about the sheriff he's the only Muslim on the island and he's not very respected. People call him Sharif instead of Sheriff because Sharif obviously sounds Muslim and everything and it's a way to put him down. They don't even call him by his first name half the time. You know, um, what was his name? Uh, Not Ali. Ali was his son. He was um, Omar. Omar, Omar. yes. Uh, But his son, Ali, turning away from Islam is, I think, to the point where he's one of the first people to to have the poison there in the church. I think that even, uh, to your point with Riley's mother, probably had a huge – because she watched this nice sheriff who's never done anything to her or anybody. You know, his son, like, drank poison for these people. Like, literally (laughs) – you know. And that was such a heartbreaking scene where a bunch of these uh, devout, <clears throat> overly devout zealots, white zealots, are pinning this Muslim man to the ground mm-hmm. and forcing him to watch as his son is drinks the poison. That yeah. was so hard to watch. But I was so. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I was going to say, especially since he had the whole monologue earlier about, you know, uh, at, at first we lived over here in this place and we, you know, I we could just tell everybody's like watching us and judging us. So we take another job somewhere else, you know, where I think maybe it'll be safer for my family and my son and no, it's just the same there. So finally, you know, his whole thing about wanting so desperately to escape the stigma of being a Muslim that he up and moved his teenage son to this dead, nothing fishing Island in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. It it was, I, and I loved that whole commentary and that whole um, 
racial undertone mm-hmm. to this show. Um, but I also love that his son, Ali, I love that he's the one who burns the community center at the end. So mm-hmm. none of these people can escape the sun. I thought that was such yep. a nice bit of, um, I don't even want to say redemption for his character because his character didn't need redemption. He was a no, kid who fell character. into the wrong crowd. Yeah. And well, and he was also a kid essentially doing what everybody does and trying to figure out what he believed in. He was, he was only, you know, no one is, is, is born a Muslim or born a Christian. They are born into a Muslim Christian Judaism. You know, they're born into a family that is that, and they are taught those things until they are a certain age and can decide for themselves if that's what they want to, to believe in, you know? Um, and he was doing what any kid, yeah, he didn't need redemption. He was doing what any kid, he, and again, in his defense, like, he did witness ostensibly what would appear from the outside to be miracles. His paralyzed friend got up and walked again. Yeah. <laughs> you know. No, absolutely. And, um... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. so I have a question for you. Did this romance between Mildred and Father Hill come out of nowhere for you? Because I felt like that came out of nowhere when they revealed that at the end. I was like, this seems random. Teeny bit, but I do think there was... Because uh, she was also the first person that realized that Paul Hill was Monsignor Pruitt. And we all, because at that time she had dementia, no one went, oh, you know, her daughter just went, oh, no, no, mom, that's, that's not Monsignor Pruitt. That's, that's Father Paul Hill. But if she was stooping this guy when he was much younger, (laughs) and one thing we know about people with dementia is even though they have a very hard time with memory in the present they tend to remember things especially if they're in early stage dementia Mm -hmm. they tend to remember things from way back in the day much better my grandfather 91 years old has early parts of dementia and Mm -hmm. he can forget he didn't have anything to eat today but he can tell you a story from when he was in the na- when he was in the air force like that. Right. Like he knows all that stuff. So, yeah, it came out of nowhere, but when I at the end it was very very sudden when she was finally young again and could go to him as a young person and go, "Oh, hey, remember that's our daughter we blinked once and she came from that <laughs> and like that's why you stare at her all the time, which she commented on earlier about how she was like, huh, Monsignor Pruitt used to stare at me. Just like, like the hints were there, not overt enough necessarily, but they were there. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. I, this is one of those shows I feel like, Upon a rewatch, knowing what happens, now that you have the story, you can you'll spot a lot more of yeah. those subtle hints throughout. So I'm looking forward to revisiting this. Now, but here's a here's a discussion I had with another friend of mine who didn't lo- he liked it, but he didn't love it quite as much as we did. His main problem was he felt like um, the end. He thought everybody turning around and suddenly finding their humanity within the span of a few minutes. He found that to be the most, he's like, they spent all night doing like horrible things and planning to take over the world. And then suddenly they're all like singing gospels again. And I'm like, no, like they, 
they they woke up from being dead in a bloodlust haze that they right. they didn't and as soon as they calmed down they went oh. same thing like I'm gonna go back to storming the capital just to bring that up I can't maybe I'm wrong but I like to think that once those people calm once the vast majority of those people calmed down they went oh. We just did something really fucking dumb. Yeah, I mean, I, I, think I st- hope at least some of them did. <laughs> I think just based on their numbers, statistically, a mm-hmm. lot of them had to realize they were worked up. But I, again, given the state of the country, I could be entirely wrong. But I that that's what I was trying to explain to my friend. That's what happened there. They were like worked up into a huge fervor over thinking they were God's chosen people to live forever. And then they calmed down and realized, Oh no, we're not going to live forever. We're going to die in a few minutes. And we just killed people we've known our entire lives. Right. And you have to think about the moment too, that they realized this. And what it was not just not, only just before the sun came up it was after um ali burned the community center and his when father right, was killed and his, his father, father was, was killed by shot bev and was bleeding out and it was after bev started telling all of them all these zealots well we don't have room for all of you so mm-hmm. i'm going to make the decision which of you are going to get room in the community center and which one of you which ones aren't? Well, and once it was burning and she started going oh uh there has to be somewhere and they were going no, you just told us to burn everywhere, and we did. There's right. nowhere. And she's like, no, no, there has to be. God said that we're, we're God's chosen. There has to be somewhere we can go. No, we destroyed everywhere we could go because you said God said the community center was where we are going to go, and the community center's not there. Right. So, so it was all of that to me, and plus – they all witnessed that confrontation between Father Hill and Bev as well, where he was like, this is wrong. We did the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think it was all that combined. So it did not come out of nowhere for me, this change. They were It was a gradual waking up process. Especially Father Hill coming out and going, oh, especially because he was the one that started all. Like, sure, Bev took it and ran with it and worked mm-hmm. everybody up. He started it all. He performed the first miracle. Everybody thought he was the leader. And then he comes out and goes, oh, guys, I, yeah, I fucked up. (laughs) We're not God's chosen people. Like, sorry. Like, that's a big deal. Because if you look at real world cults, like Jim Jones didn't right at the end go, oh, hey, guys, by the way, um, never mind. Put those cups down. I was wrong. You don't need to drink those. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because, uh, yeah, so. Yeah. And I also love loved the scene where they're all in the house. So people who escaped the church are in the house. Kate's, uh, Kate Siegel's house. Uh, mm-hmm. Aaron's house Aaron. mm-hmm. and Bev comes and they throw the Molotov cocktails through the windows. So <clears throat> they're all escaping to the back while Annie's like, I will distract her. You guys leave and get out of here. Mm-hmm. I love that scene where how Annie just walks out calmly and Bev's like, my quarrel's not with you. I'll just hand the rest of them over. And yeah. Annie's like, Bev, 
I'm going to tell you something I don't think anybody's told you your whole life, but I think you really need to hear it. You are not a good person. <laughs> I was like, that is awesome. I loved that so much. There, there's absolutely, and you know, you think she's going to go on this like horrible, like tirade and really there's nothing stronger. She could have said they're just isn't. right. Like that is the perfect thing to say to that person. Right. Like, like she's not like, uh, she's not, tr- she's just being honest with her. She's not intentionally trying to hurt her. She's like, you just no. need to hear this. Yeah. Like you are no more special than the rest of us. We are mm-hmm. all God's children. And I know it kills you to hear yeah. that, but, it and just, I loved that scene. Yeah, I did too. There's like I said, there's just nothing stronger that she could have, could have said. Yeah. Um, just to uh, touch on some of the things Mike Flanagan brought to this and not just the actors and everything, but I, like you said, it's a slow burn, but once the tension really starts going, he does it really well. Like the scene where the three of them want to leave, you know, uh, they want to leave, go to the mainland and they get there and the guy's just there working on the boats and they're like, where's the, uh, where's the ferry? Oh, uh, the ferry's not coming today. Uh, it, it broke down. It, it, it'll be here tomorrow. Don't worry. And, and you're just here working on the boats at like, you know, late in the evening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They just, they, yeah. They just need a little work. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then, so they walk away from that. And then obviously uh, people disappear. Collie disappears. And, and that other kid disappears that the, the drug dealer kid that gets taken by the vampire and everything. And you just start to, all these things start to go wrong. Animals start appearing dead on the beach. Yeah. Oh, that was crazy. Yeah. With all the dead Birds. There are cats, 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 cats and cats. birds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there was the whole cat island just off their island that was like overrun by feral cats, and then uh, you see one of the cats get taken. There's like a shot because the kids were on that other island at first, adventuring, and then <laughs> yeah. And, and I thought it was great too um, when the kids go into the abandoned barn to hide during the night of terror. And mm. it's filled with the bodies of, of the people, vampires, victims. And the yep. vampire himself is in there feeding on one. And he's just so lost in the bloodlust. He doesn't even pay them any attention. Well, it's like when he's killing Aaron and he's draining her, he doesn't even notice she's slicing his wings apart. He's so intent on, on feeding on that character, which I was like, Whoa. Right. And yeah. uh, boy, this he, whole, I was going to say, boy, he made it seem like it wasn't going to make it back to the somewhere to hide on time. But that was a little too open. And I was like, man, I really just wanted to watch that vampire. Just like, get it, man. <laughs> like, I didn't want to watch him just kind of flap off and go, oh, yeah, he's not going to make it to the mainland by sunrise. <laughs> It was definitely open-ended. And Mike Flanagan said in an interview, he did that on purpose. He's, he like, left mm-hmm. it open-ended on purpose so people yeah. can interpret it how they want. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll say this. Out of all of Mike Flanagan's stuff, I think uh, this one is the most Stephen King-ish of them all, mm-hmm. this whole story. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's because of the character of Bev reminding me. It's the whole story reminds me a lot of The Mist and it's the faith in that. a little bit Mist and a little bit Salem's Lot. 
Yes. It's like a nice combination of the two of them, but, yeah. and that's a huge compliment to him, Mike Flanagan, because Stephen King's like, obviously the master, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I loved it. And the cinematography was beautiful. Mm-hmm. The writing was so tight, the direction. And I know, um, I think it was for Nerdist, Mike Flanagan wrote this amazing essay he published like the weekend after this premiered mm-hmm. um, about what a passion project this was. I mean, he's he mentioned Midnight Mass in the movie Hush. Uh, Keith Siegel's character wrote a book called Midnight Mass and oh, mentioned okay. the characters of Aaron and Riley. So he's been had this idea in his mind for years. And the fact that he saw it to fruition and it turned out as well as it did, like I'm so happy for him because as yeah. a inspiring artist, like in the writing genre myself, like I can't imagine what that must feel like for him. So good for him. No. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, yeah, it's really, it's really uh, evident too. I think in, cause uh, he's really good at making stuff. Like even the one uh, that uh, people are kind of iffy on, like at least in my circles, like uh, Oculus. Have you seen Oculus? Yep. yep. I, love oculus I, I do too i think it's very underrated i know a lot of people that don't like it and i'm like this is good like mike flanagan <laughs> he's good and I, out of there's only one i think i haven't seen did he do ouija or did he do the ouija prequel i thought he did ouija okay so he did the i haven't seen that i haven't seen either which one was so, which was the worst received the the worst <laughs> received of the two Okay. Um, I I feel though he did that one, but did he write that? I feel like the ones he writes are better. When he has full control, he's better than when he's just directing, as is often the case. But the the point being, like this is, I think the so far the best thing I've seen that he's put out. Like I'm I'm all in uh, the Mike Flanagan camp for whatever he comes out with next for forever, pretty much. Me too. Um, Although, I know Tom and Julia on our podcast uh, love this as well. Yeah. And I was I was talking to them like, I'm at the point, if Mike Flanagan's name is attached to it, even mm-hmm. if the trailer doesn't sell me, I will give it a shot because he has not disappointed me in recent years at all. So. Uh, I was at that point for a little bit with um, Christopher Nolan. And then he kind of started to, like, uh, Interstellar, I was so so on. Like I recognized that it was good, but it wasn't for me necessarily. And then, and then I saw it's a one for me with Chris Nolan that right. I was like, and, Ugh. and then I saw Dunkirk, and I was like, this is just like a bloated, self-absorbed mess of a film. And, and that's a that's a problem with Nolan in my mind. Like he needs a better editor, and he needs a studio to reel him in more because he's yeah. got to the point where he is very. Uh, <clears throat> I feel like his works all now are very pretentious mm-hmm. and overlong because he's mm-hmm. trying to have be deep when it doesn't work all the time. Right. So to the point where I didn't even see Tenant. I saw Dunkirk, and then I saw that trailer for Tenant, and I just went. Chris Nolan, you finally lost me. And you know what? Another director did that to me recently too. Uh, James Wan. I'm really a huge James Wan fan. I With Malignant did not like Malignant. 
I hated Malignant. Oh, and I don't know how man. the guy who did Insidious and the Conjuring wrote a uh, did Malignant. And That's Dead insane. Silence. Dead Silence is so underrated. I love them. Dead Silence is awesome. He made Dead Silence. He made The Conjuring. He made Insidious. And then he made fucking Malignant, which was so stupid. <laughs> God, I hated that movie. <laughs> so yeah. he he still has a chance to redeem himself. He's James Wan. He'll he can come around. <clears throat> I mean, are you not, did you like Aquaman? I did. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited for the sequel. I'm excited for I, Aquaman too. Yeah. I mean, I know in our circles, people love the guy or hate him, but Zack Snyder, I'm not high on, even though I love his director's cut of Justice League. I didn't. I like his Dawn of the Dead. I, I thought that I actually like, and I know this is controversial, I like his Dawn of the Dead better than the original. It, I like them probably the same for different reasons. Uh, mm-hmm. I and I do, I'm one of the people that likes his Watchmen. I know a lot of people don't. He m- improved the ending of that story. And 100%. He, uh, you want to talk, I just mentioned bloated. I think the book's a little bloated. I think the book needed some of the cuts he made out of it. Uh, when like I the re- pirate story? Mm-hmm, like the pirate story. When I reread Watchmen, I, I skipped that whole pirate story. Like yeah. I read it the first time and afterward I went, Nope, I'm not yeah. reading this again. I agree. No, I am a big, uh, I love that movie so mm-hmm. much. I'm a big fan of that movie. The other yeah. thing, uh, with remakes, was this a discussion I had with you? I've had this discussion several times in the past few weeks. So maybe I've had it with you. Uh, Texas chainsaw massacre. Remake oh, or yeah. I think we had this discussion on Twitter. I said mm-hmm. I liked it better than the original. That's and you right. said that's like a whole podcast conversation. It kind of is. Uh, because I do feel like the original is a lot. The original has so much screaming at the end of it. Like so much. And it's a, a dirty kind of nasty film that does feel almost uh, in a way like you are watching real people get killed, which is uncomfortable for a lot of people, which is where its reputation comes from because it was the first, it was probably the first movie to really do that. Right. Whereas the second one is very, like it's a dirty film, but it's polished dirty. It's like a, this is a weird thing to say, but it's like a shiny turd where like it's dirty, but it still is like pretty to look at. And it feels more like a film, like a horror movie versus like someone's home movie. (laughs) I, I told, I totally get that. Um, I really like what they did with Leatherface more in the remake. I think Mm -hmm. he looks cooler. I think he's not as goofy. Uh, I, I, and I love the, and I know it's done to death now, but I think the remake did it before it really became popular. I love the, it's starting with the police footage and then it ended with mm-hmm. police footage where your leather face comes out of nowhere and slashes them. And well, I think the, Toby um, Hooper even said, uh, in a, if you've ever seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, you understand. You just mentioned Leatherface being goofy. If you've ever seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, you understand. Toby Hooper thought there was a lot of dark humor in the first film that people missed 
<laughs> and that Leatherface was not like a monster. And you notice he's actually afraid of people coming into his home. And that the only reason he's attacking all these people is because he's like cowed by his family and he's afraid of strangers. Mm-hmm. Versus in the remake, he clearly is a monster and loves cutting these people up, which. Um, that's why I say when you see Texas Chainsaw 2, that comes out even more. Like, he's super goofy and kowtowed by his family in that film. Right. Yeah, that 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 really makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, I love the original, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I just also feel like the remake is very underrated. And mm. what's his name from uh, Full Metal Jacket as a sheriff in the Harley remake? Army. I mean, come on. He was amazing in that role. He's awesome. I do love him in that role. He's a scary dude. Yep, he is. Yeah. I mean, it's horror season. We should do more horror podcasts, man. Halloween next week. Next week. Yes, Halloween, as we record this, is a a week away. Or not Halloween, the uh, Halloween Kills, excuse me. I was going to say not Halloween the holiday, not Halloween the movie, Halloween Kills. Yeah. Yeah. And you're going to come back on, you, me, and Justin, we're all going to talk about that movie on probably not the, because he doesn't come back till the, 19th of October. So he's probably not going to see it the first weekend it comes out. So it'll be like a weekend or two after it comes out. We can talk about that movie, but I'm pretty stoked for it. It looks awesome. It looks so good. I can't wait. I really like that uh, 2018 Halloween a lot. Me too. I, I mean, it's like the Halloween franchise is like a multiverse at this point. You could choose mm-hmm. your own adventure, which movies you want to watch. And if this is up to the 2018, the part of the 2018 one, this mm-hmm. new timeline is going to be the one I always stick with going forward. I, I like this timeline so far, mostly because this timeline does away with the brother sister thing. Which, which is smart. Mm-hmm. I so much scarier that it was a random attack on this random girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it makes more sense. Because anybody that knows the history is John Carpenter didn't want that second movie to be a Michael Myers movie. He wanted an anthology series, which is why Halloween 3 is what it is. But the studio said, nah, you got to give us another like one of those Michael Myers movies first. And so he just shat that movie out basically as fast as he could and got it over with. And he to this day is like, "Eh, I shouldn't have done that brother sister thing. (laughs) I guarantee you, if if when Halloween 3 came out, the Halloween moniker wasn't attached to it, and it was just called Season of the Witch or something, that mm-hmm. movie would have been much better received than it was. Probably, because yeah. I think people were expecting, like, oh, it's John Carpenter, it's going to be Michael mm-hmm. Myers. And then when it wasn't, I think that had a lot to do with its crappy reputation. But that oh, movie is so underrated. Like, I have a new... Film. It is weird, but I have a newfound appreciation for that movie in recent years. That one's really weird. Um, But yeah, the other... uh, Yeah, I think I like this timeline the best so far. I like Halloween. Uh, If you go Halloween 1, 2, H2O, that's also a pretty good trilogy as well. If you just cut out 4, 5, and 6, which are kind of bizarre and don't connect to anything... Halloween 1, Halloween 2, Halloween H2O... H2O was so, like, that's one with LL Cool J, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that one is almost a little too over the top for me, like too goofy almost for me. I mean, maybe it wasn't at the time, but now watching it. Well, it's, 
It came out around the Scream years when Scream was. It's that early, it's like that middle horror ground where horror had gotten out of being like dark and creepy and weird and was into, yeah, the only thing I can call it is Scream territory because Halloween Resurrection is, or not Halloween Resurrection, Halloween H2O could almost be a Scream film if you change some of the... I think it's more. I think it's closer to a screen film than it is to a Halloween film. But now I got to rewatch it because I know you know I love the Scream franchise. The one that's really terrible and is really over the top is Resurrection. Yes, hundred percent. But here's the thing with H two O and Resurrection, and everything. I just prefer the Halloween twenty eighteen what they did with Laurie more mm-hmm. than H two O did. Yeah. Because I, I feel like she would have been that messed up from that attack that she would have become this recluse, like yeah. obsessed with Cause, it. Cause, uh, H2O was, she still became an alcoholic like she does in the 2018. She became an alcoholic, changed her name and became the head of a private boarding school in California. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But she I didn't don't know. Become I, a loner in the woods. <laughs> yeah. I, the, and I really liked the one line in 2018, and I know we're getting off on a topic, so this is the last thing I'll say. I loved the one line where uh, they were commenting that Lori's granddaughter and her friends are walking through town, and her friend friend makes a comment, one guy stabbed three girls uh, 25 years ago, and that's a massacre. What's the big deal? Because really, nowadays, what is the big deal with that? Yeah, that's a... Yeah, that's... But... I do like what you said about the the random killing thing because another horror movie I think is underrated and people don't talk about it enough that I think is one of the scariest movies ever made is The Strangers. I just watched that the other day. Had to watch it in midday. I can't watch that movie at night. It's that- so the idea of that film is horrifying. It's so scary. I mean, the ending. The ending is what seals it for me when she asks, why are you doing this? And they say, because, because you were home. home. That's like, so fucking scary. And I know a guy. Here's a, here's a wild story. Um, number one, obviously, because uh, that the whole thing is very Richard Ramirez. The Strangers, very Richard Ramirez, very Manson family, like just break into the house and kill people. But my brother used to play hockey with this kid that one Halloween – uh his family was all home and one of them looked out the front window said hey there's a a guy coming up to the house with a mask on and it's halloween people have masks on this dude opened their front door came in and chased them around with a knife they all got away they all got away nobody got hurt but that literally happened to a kid that my brother played hockey with when they were younger. Like, did the guy get arrested or did he just disappear into the night? Uh, I believe he was apprehended. This was a long time ago. I can't 100% remember. I believe he was apprehended. I, 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 when me and my friends are talking horror movies and stuff, I always bring that up. Like, I'm surprised there is not more violence on Halloween, just with the idea of people are letting masked strangers come up to their door. Mm-hmm. And I'm surprised Christmas, too. There's not more robberies with kids expecting somebody to come yeah. into your house and leave gifts. I'm surprised there's not more robberies Christmas Eve. Well, um, 
I think what it basically comes down to, and this is something that I live my life by, and a lot of people disagree with me. I know this is, but the facts of everything in the world bear it out. People are generally good. This is where you and I disagree. <laughs> I, I love that you're that optimistic. I'm the cynical New Yorker. No, it, but, but and this is has nothing to do, but I want people to hear it anyway. It's my podcast, so they can hear it from me. <laughs> if you look at the statistics of violent crime in the nation, mm-hmm. like there are homicide divisions in Los Angeles closing because they don't have enough work to do. They're not That's enough, great. There are not enough homicides. I mean, one of the mo- one of the places that back in the seventies and New York City as well. Back in the seventies, people were like dying left and right. They had more homicides. There were there were times in in New York City and Los Angeles and Detroit. They had so many homicide detectives had so many murders on their desk. They would just flip through them real fast just to see if they had any they could possibly maybe have enough evidence to solve because they would just go, nope, 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 nope. nope I mean, nope. if you watch that recent uh, doc on Netflix, uh, the Son of Sam one, Sons of Sam, mm-hmm. uh, for your listeners, if listeners want a glimpse at New York in the 70s and 80s, yeah, you, know, right, you guys want to watch it yet. <laughs> If you want a glimpse of New York in the 70s and 80s, because lots of footage from that time there, mm-hmm. it looks like a third world country. The amount mm-hmm. of crime and trash and prostitutes hanging out in Times Square, like completely mm-hmm. different than it is nowadays. And the other thing, so crime rates have fallen really low, lowest they've ever been. Uh, and uh, war, even though we just got out of like a 20 year war, but in general, war is also a thing that almost does, it, it happens, but it, way less than it used to in the past. And the final thing, and this is the most amazing thing, and this is something I only learned within the past couple of years. There are now these, uh, something has started happening in recent years that never, ever happened before in the past. And that is the rise of like these super. Uh, there's a word for it and I can't remember what it is now, but they're, they're essentially the best example. They're like super empath, not super empaths. They're like super generous in in a way. I can't think of the word. Fuck. It's going to drive me crazy now, but (laughs) essentially the example is somebody who walks into a hospital and goes, I have two kidneys. I'm healthy. I only need one kidney to live my life take one of my kidneys and give it to somebody who has no working kidneys. Wow. That's amazing. It and really is amazing. It really, it, but here's the thing. It's so it's recent and it, to the point where when it first started happening, people at the hospitals thought these were crazy people that they didn't because the only way anybody ever donated kidneys or part of their liver or whatever were if they were dead. Or if it was somebody they knew and loved, like a family member or a friend. Mm-hmm. Now, in the modern day, there are people just walking into hospitals going, hey, I want to save somebody's life. I've got two working kidneys. Give one to somebody. Take one. Find me somebody that has no kidneys that I can donate one to. That's a, You know what? That's incredible. Yeah. That really is. So. And I Maybe it Maybe you're right. I only learned that recently. So just in general, and also I could go into a whole thing, just, and I think part of it is 
like we've talked a lot about the state of the country and the state of the world and gold. It's pretty easy to fall into the trap of everything is doom and gloom all the time. Cause it's always on TV. It's always on your social media feed. It's always the, the other thing I say to people is that so much good stuff happens in the world every day, mm-hmm. that it's essentially mundane. It's not news. It's not headline grabbing. Like every single day, Good shit happens all around you. Somebody holds, you know, people hold doors for people. People help people carry groceries. People, you know, that kind of. Well, I mean, a perfect example of what you're saying, like people are inherently good. When you think of uh, 9-11, which was Mm -hmm. at the 20th anniversary, Mm -hmm. all of the stories you hear from that day, apart from the attacks themselves, are people dropping everything to help others, Mm -hmm. whether rushing into a building and putting themselves at risk to help other people get out or putting them up in their homes or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like all the stories you hear from that that day are about the generosity and goodness of people Mm -hmm. to strangers. So you're right. You're right. You've changed my mind. (laughs) I also just read, and this will be the final thing, but I read this yesterday and I got a look more into it because it was just a blurb i want to read more about it but a a study was done recently that essentially the the end result was people are more willing to harm themselves than somebody else for money you would think based on your idea of people are just oh i'll kick that guy for money versus i'll stab or i'll stab that guy for money versus i'm more willing to stab myself for money so I got to read more about that, but I found that very interesting. To, like given the choice of here's $10,000 to stab that guy, more people were willing to go no than here's $10,000 stab yourself. Yeah, I, that's very interesting too. Yeah, so. so we all, and I think that final bit does tie into the idea loosely of midnight mass and people coming around and doing the right thing so we we ended up sort of back on topic yeah there you go (laughs) uh i just like talking to you anthony it's fun i like it too we need to do more for your show for my show we we gotta get you guys on our show again absolutely i think i'm on your schedule for december yeah, um, which one was it? Was it, it was the night, night before, before Christmas? Yeah. yeah, that'll be fun. I don't know the exact day of that yet. I'm sure you don't either, but I know that's one of your December episodes, so I know it'll be. Yeah. Yep, I think that may be the last one before Christmas. So cool. That the makes big, sense. the big leagues. Yeah. <laughs> well, like I said earlier, you're going to be back on this show very soon. So. Yep, I'm excited. I can't and wait. We can talk about more stuff when you're on that episode, but we're going to talk about Halloween kills and. Uh, what if is over justin and i have not been enjoying that but maybe you have and we can talk more about i what have if. not been i okay. hate it interesting because <laughs> we don't like it either <laughs> uh, but oh and agatha's getting a spin-off show which the best news i've heard all day uh, i do I like have... that Catherine hahn uh, i love her she was been so, so underrated good. for years and I'm glad Agatha brought her to a whole bunch of new people and I'm glad she's getting recognized mm-hmm. with her own show for it. So, yeah, me too. All right. I'm going to end this recording, but I'm going to keep yep. talking to you because I have one more thing I want to talk to you about, but people don't, eh, people won't be interested in that part. So whatever. I'm going to end the recording. <laughs> Goodbye everybody for now. <laughs> Bye everyone.
The Two Broke Geeks podcast is a production of Two Broke Geeks Entertainment and is part of the Atomic Geekdom Network. If you have not already subscribed wherever you get your podcasts, please do so. It really helps us out. Also, what really helps us out is if you could leave us a review. We really do appreciate it. Find us online on Facebook. Just look for Two Broke Geeks. Find us on Instagram, 2BGPod, and on Twitter, at 2BGPod. Find Atomic Geekdom online at AtomicGeekdom.com or on Twitter, at Atomic Geekdom. Thanks. Really? Yep. And in the event the real Timmy fails to fulfill his duties, you become Timmy. Uh, has that ever happened? No. Cool. I have a dream! Shh, be quiet, Nutkenny. The Mori Povich Freak Show is on. Oh, all right then.